Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we're continuing a series called The Wilderness, and we're going to finish it up next week. But the series is all about this idea that, that we each go through wilderness seasons in our lives, that there are times that we end up in places we didn't expect to end up. And one of the things I told you a few weeks ago is this, that every new season is preceded by a wilderness season. So every time God does something new in our lives, typically we're gonna see a wilderness happen beforehand. And we see this over and over and over in scripture, that when God was about to do something new, there was a season of wandering, there was a season of, of wondering, there was a season of questioning at times. And, and we see this in our lives as well. Um, we see that when we're in a wilderness season, it's a season that it's dry, it's desolate, it's barren. If you're not sure if you're in a wilderness season, but you find yourself asking the question, when will this season end? You're probably in a wilderness season because that's one of the things we ask ourselves a lot when we're in a season like this. And it can be frustrating when we sense that God's moving us to something else, but we're stuck where we're at. Um, I, I shared with the church a few weeks ago that God kind of laid on my heart this phrase for 2020 for us as a church, this phrase, terra incognita. And this, this phrase means unknown lands. So it was, a, it was a term used in cartography to describe areas of the map that were unexplored. So, so what I feel like God is saying to us is we're going to do some things in 2020 that we've never done before. He's going to take us as a church off the edge of the map. He's going to make us a little bit uncomfortable, but we're going to be able to trust him through the whole thing. So there's things that make a lot of sense, like starting a Blairsville location. There's things we don't know yet. We're still looking for a location and trying to find the right place. And we're trusting God, and we're believing God. So if you want to be praying with us about that, pray with us about that. Um, but we don't know what it's going to look like, but we believe God's calling us to do it, and we believe it's going to be good. Um, I've realized that in my own personal life, this is a year that, that God's going to take me someplace that I've never been before. Uh, this is my first year without my dad that I'm going to experience that. I had a moment this last week that, uh, if, if that wasn't enough, that I realized Abby is going to college in the fall, and that at the end of the year, um, my dad's not going to be around, and Abby's going to be at college, and um, I held it together. I was fine. I didn't cry at all. Um, <laughs> so this is a year that's new for me as well, that God is taking me someplace I've never been before, that I'm trusting him in ways that I've never had to trust him before. And I believe that, that every new season is preceded by wilderness. And so you may be in a wilderness today. You might be in a season that's dry and desolate, maybe a little barren, but I want you to know there's something good on the other side if we'll just trust God. He's, he's got a new season for us if we can just trust him. In, in the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, after Solomon, the nation of, of Israel split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. And, and Elijah served in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he served under a king named Ahab. And Ahab was married to a woman named Jezebel. And Ahab was, uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to scripture, because he allowed Jezebel, who was a Baal worshiper, to influence him, which in turn influenced the nation. So they went from serving God, they became polytheistic, they began to serve multiple gods, and one of the gods that was primary for them was Baal. And so they began to turn their hearts from God, and Elijah was tasked with correcting Ahab. And how many of you know 
that people in authority don't like the people that are below them on the flowchart to correct them. Did you know that? If you don't know that, go in tomorrow morning to your boss's office and tell him all the stuff he's doing wrong. Let's see how that goes. So Elijah shows up to correct Ahab and it does not go very well. Um, if you want to know more about this story, we actually talked more about it and talked in some different detail about it uh, back in the month of June. We started a series in June 2019 called Man Cave. And the very first weekend, June 1st and 2nd, uh, we talked about Elijah and the season that he spent in a cave and some of the things that God did. Uh, so if you want to, feel free, go back. It'll fill in some of the gaps in the story today. So I'm gonna start in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse one. And this is what it says. Now Elijah the Tishbite uh, said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So this is what Elijah is saying to the king. It's not gonna rain, there's gonna be no dew. And the implications are this. If there's no rain, there is no harvest. And if there is no harvest, there is nothing to feed the livestock or bread for the people. And if there's nothing for the livestock, the livestock will die. Now there's going to be famine because there's no meat there's no harvest, there's no bread, water supplies are going to run low. And this is the news that he delivers to the king. And you have to imagine the king doesn't take that very well. Because this is judgment on the king. So what we see is, is he is saying, none of these things are going to happen until I give the word. As you can imagine, the king was upset. It says in uh, verse two, and the word of the Lord came to him. So God spoke to Elijah and said, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So we don't see Ahab's exact reaction, but you can't imagine it was healthy. And so God says to him, you need to run away. You need to go hide. Now, if you remember, I said in the Old Testament, there are two primary reasons people go to the wilderness. The first is refuge. They're running away from something. They're trying to escape something. And this is the case here. He's trying to escape the wrath of, of Ahab. Uh, the, the other reason that people go to the wilderness is they are, they are sent there. They're exiled there at times. So we see that with the nation of Israel. They were, they were exiled to the wilderness when they wanted to go into the promised land. And, and if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Moses. And Moses, he wanted to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt, through the wilderness, into the promised land. Because they didn't believe what God had told them about the promised land, they were, they were exiled into the wilderness. They had to wander the wilderness for 40 years. Now, the wilderness was everything east of the Jordan. The promised land was west of the Jordan River. And so what we see here, God says... Go to the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. So what we see is he says to him, go find refuge in the wilderness. Go, go hide there. It's a good place to get away. Um, I don't know about you, but this instruction that God gives where he says, you're going to drink from the brook and I've commanded ravens to feed you there. I'm thinking, couldn't you have given us some other way? Couldn't you just like send an angel to deliver the food, right, or something? That just seems gross. Because when I was a kid, I used to imagine this story. Uh, when I was a kid and I was in Sunday school, I remember vividly my teacher telling us about this story. And in my mind, I was picturing this raven rolling up with like a loaf of Wonder Bread in its beak. Does anybody remember Wonder Bread? Do they even make Wonder Bread still? 
I don't know. Anyway, so this raven would roll up like weighted down by the Wonder Bread. This is what I'm imagining in my mind. But I realize now it probably wasn't packaged. It probably wasn't cellophane wrapped up. You know, I don't know what he had, but his bread in his mouth. And Elijah's like, all right, I'll take it. What we see here, though, is so interesting because I want you to hear this. When we're in a wilderness season, it's so easy for us to look at what we lack. I don't have enough. God, if you're really good, why would I have so little of this? Whatever it might be, finances, resources, um, harmony in our marriage, peace in relationships, whatever it is, when we're in this wilderness season, we notice what we don't have. And it would have been so easy for Elijah to go, oh, bread and meat again? Can I get a pierogi up in here, God? You like how the Western Pennsylvania is rubbing off on me a little bit? God, come on, can I get a side of potato chips or some french fries or something? But he never complains because God is providing. And I want you to know this, in the wilderness we will see provision but we won't see an abundance. We'll get exactly what we need but we're never gonna get more than what we need. God's gonna provide for us in the, in the wilderness because there is no harvest in the wilderness. Elijah wasn't out sowing seed and and raising up crops. He was living on what God was providing for him. And I'm telling you, when we're in a harvest season, God will provide for you. I mean, when we're in a wilderness season, God's gonna provide for you exactly what you need. He's gonna give you what you need for that day. He's gonna sustain you for that day. And what we see here is God was sustaining Elijah while he was in the wilderness. Um, Luke chapter 12, verse 24, and this is from the the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's a version that I've been reading some lately. It says, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than these birds? This is Jesus talking. So what he says is this. Hey, ravens don't have, uh, they don't have direct deposit. They don't have a 401k. They don't have a bank account. They haven't stored up food but they rely on what God God provides for them every day. And if God provides for a bunch of ravens, don't you think he's gonna provide for you? You are a son or daughter of God. You don't think he's gonna take care of you? This is Jesus asking this question rhetorically. And so I'm asking you the same question. If, If you are a son or daughter of God, you don't think that God is going to take care of you in your harvest when he provides for and takes care of and sustains life on earth? Absolutely he will. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this. God, uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he said, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So God's goal is for you to abound in every good work. But listen to how he does it. So that you'll have all sufficiency in all things at all times. You will have all sufficiency in all things at all times. Now the interesting thing is the word sufficiency here is it could also be translated as contentment. So you will have all contentment in all things at all times. That God wants us to be content. He wants us to understand that we have everything we need. We might not have everything we want, but we've got everything we need to do what God's asking us to do, to make it through the wilderness season so we can trust him deeply and say, you know what, I wish I had this or this or this, but you know, God, I've got all I need to navigate this season. So so thank you for meeting my needs sufficiently. Um, My my dad... uh, my dad was not a public speaker, an orator, or anything like that. He was just, uh, 
<laughs> he was just a redneck, and he loved people, and he was a great guy. Uh, and when he passed away a few weeks ago, uh, we were going through, um, my, my sister had found his Bible that he had next to his armchair, and she was going through it, and this Bible was beat up and worn and abused, and uh, there were notes written in the margins and things tucked in and underlined and all that kind of stuff, so we were going through some of that. And my sister pulled out a couple of note, uh, pieces of notebook paper, and she opened them up, and she was reading through it. She said, what is this? And she handed it to me, and I looked, and I said, well, it looks like he was prepping a talk, like he was, like he had, this is an outline for some sort of message he was going to deliver, I guess. So we asked our mom, and mom said, I don't have any idea what that is. And, um, and it was clear that he was preparing for some sort of talk he was going to give, um, and that was not normal, but I didn't know if maybe the he had been asked to give a talk at a group at church or something like that. And it was interesting because he had verses and he had thoughts and ideas and different things all written out. And one of the things that, that he had written in his notes, I'd never heard him say, but it's the most Melvin Massingale thing you'll ever hear anybody say. Um, he said, be content with what you have, but not who you are. And I love this idea because this is my dad. My dad is the guy that he and my mom live in the same house that I was raised in my whole life. Uh, they never uh, aspired to the bigger, better house. They, they, my dad drove the same pickup truck that he had driven for the last you know, six years. Um, and he was happy with it. He loved it. It was, it was a truck he was going to drive forever. you know. And he was just happy. That's who he was. He was happy to piddle in his shop and make stuff and do things. Um, but he was never happy with who he was. He always wanted to grow, become a better leader, a better dad, a better husband, a better grandfather, whatever it might be. He always aspired to be better than he was before and, and let God work in his life. And my fear is that the world we live in, we get this idea backwards. We're, we're content with who we are, but not with what we have. We go, you know what, I don't know if I need to grow. I'm pretty good. I'm probably going to heaven. So what else do I need, right? Like, I'm not the best dad, but I'm better than those guys. So we're content with who we are, but we're not content with what we have. So as a result, we're driven. And if I could just make $10,000 more a year, and if I could just get that job, if I could just buy that truck or that car or that house, then my life would be complete. And what we see here is contrary to Scripture, because God, what God wants for us is to be content in all things at all times so that we may abound in every good work. But what happens is we're not content in all things at all times. And especially in a wilderness season, it's so easy for us to be miscontented and, and look at all the things we don't have and the things we wish we had. But at the end of the day, we have to be content with what we have, but not with who we are. Let me move on. 1 Kings 17, 5, it says, So he went and did, according to the word of the Lord, he went to the wilderness, to the brook of Cherith. It says, And he went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. This is irony. He's the one who says there's not going to be any rain in the land, and now he's the victim of there being no rain in the land. Now, if you are a normal human being, and this was you in this situation, it would be so easy to go, God, what, do you, what kind of games are you playing here? I did exactly what you asked me to do, and now I got no water to drink. And I can imagine Elijah, day by day, seeing that brook get smaller and smaller until one day there's nothing, nothing flowing, there's just a few puddles. 
And every day that they get smaller and smaller, I would imagine if he was a normal human being, he's wondering, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to work in this situation? Because I, I kind of need water to drink, and I need you to show up, and we get in the same boat constantly, where, where we are saying, God, I'm seeing resources diminish. I'm seeing the things I need diminish. Do you recognize the problem that you're causing me, God? And the answer is yes, God does see. God does know. In fact, God wasn't caught surprised by this turn of events. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And I think God wanted to use this moment of lack in Elijah's life to redirect him to a new place. But what happens so many times is when we're in lack, when we're in the wilderness, when we don't have enough of what we need, we think God is bad. And so we'll do something like this and go, God, if you really love me, I would have what I needed. Mm. And we harden our hearts and we stop hearing from God and we're stuck in this wilderness. But Elijah, what we see is he didn't throw a fit. He didn't throw a tantrum. He trusted God through this. And it says that God speaks to him. In verse 8, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. So God speaks to him and says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he says, I've told a woman there to feed you and take care of you. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I might drink. Remember, he's thirsty. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her again and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said to him, as the Lord your God lives, now I want to point that out. I want you to hear this. She didn't say the Lord our God, the Lord my God. She said the Lord your God. And now I added a little emphasis there, but you got to imagine when you read the rest of this that she's not thrilled with God at this point. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So again, remember what's going on. There's a famine in the land. There's no rain in the land. This woman who's a widow, and in, in this day and age, there wasn't a great system for taking care of widows. So this widow was here. She's struggling with this, this son. She's trying to take care of him. And then this prophet shows up, and he said, hey, can you give me a glass of water? And bring me, bring me some bread, too. If you could put some butter on it, it would be good, right? I just added that. Didn't, he didn't say that, actually. And she said, I would love to bring you some bread, but I don't have any bread baked. In fact, not only do I not have any bread baked, um, what supplies I have are just barely enough for me and my son, and then we're out of supplies and we're going to die. What she's saying is we have no hope for our future. There is nothing left. So I can't give you what you need. Now this is so interesting to me, that there's a man who has lack, he, he doesn't have what he needs, and he shows up to this town, to Zarephath, and he meets a woman who has lack, right? What she's saying is, I don't have enough. And it's interesting to me, too, because God said, hey, I've spoken to this woman, and she's going to take care of you. But it sounds like she didn't get the memo, doesn't it? Like, maybe that email went to her spam folder instead. Like, she's like, oh, God, I didn't see that. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to take care of this guy. I think what God did is he sends Elijah on a collision course with the widow of Zarephath. He knows that her, his lack and her lack is really nothing to God, that maybe Elijah's lack is an answer to prayer for this woman and maybe her prayer is an answer to Elijah. 
that maybe he wants to bring their needs together so that God could be glorified in it. But again, so many times when we have a need, when we have lack, we go, God, you've abandoned us. God, you've forgotten about us. God, if you were, if you were really good, my marriage would be healthier. Well, maybe, maybe God's allowing your unhealthiness so you can go to counseling, so you can get healthier instead of just magically fixing your problem. Maybe God wants to work in your finances, so he's not just going to fix it by sending you a blessing, but maybe God wants you to be a better steward. Maybe God wants to see you to navigate your lack in such a way that God's glorified through it, to trust him through it and say, okay, God, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know why the stream dried up, but God, I'm going to trust you in spite of this. See, God wants to use our lack to meet the needs of others. And sometimes when we have lack, it doesn't seem like we can meet the need of others, but we can when we trust God. Uh, so what we see happen next, God speaks to Elijah, and Elijah says, listen, here's what you're going to do with what little you have. You're going to make me some bread. So make me a loaf of bread, and this is what God says to you. If you will make me a loaf of bread, then your flour jug and your, uh, your, flour jug and your oil jug will not empty until the rains come. God's gonna supernaturally provide for you because you are providing for me. And sure enough, this is what happened. Uh, she was provided for until the rains came. She was so excited about this. She said, hey, I've got this, this room for rent upstairs. You wanna, you wanna rent this room? Elijah didn't have anywhere to go. He said, sure. So he rents the room upstairs. And one day he comes down and her son, this widow's son is sick. And he ends up dying. And she says something to the effect of, if, if God was really good, why did this happen? I thought it was good that the man of God was in my house, but now I think it maybe was a curse. And he says, do you mind if I pray for the boy? And he doesn't just pray for the boy in a dignified way. We all know what dignified prayers are, right? We lay our hand and, and you gotta, just as a tip, pro tip, if you want God to hear your prayers, you have to drop your voice a little. So if you normally talk like this, you've got to talk like this to God. And it's also helpful if you can speak in the, the King James, if you can use some this and thous, that's even better. God's impressed by that stuff. So what you do is, henceforth, Heavenly Father, I beseech thee today, right? This is the way you pray. That is not the way that Elijah prayed that day. He kind of did the opposite. He said, hey, I'm going to take this guy upstairs. I'm going to take him to my room. Is that okay? And I can imagine this widow's just wailing and weeping. And so he takes this boy's body upstairs and he lays him on the bed. And I do, not, I do not recommend this. This is not the way our prayer team will pray with you when we finish the service today. What he does is he lays this boy out and he begins to pray and he actually stretches himself out on this boy's body, literally. He lays on top of the boy face to face and he prays three times and finally the boy rises from the dead. He is raised from the dead. So he, he takes the boy downstairs and he says, hey, I've got great news for you. And the boy walks in. You can imagine the joy that must have been in this mother's heart. And I love what it says in verse 24. It says, and the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is not just, this is not just a byproduct. I want you to hear this. Uh, I feel like we bury the lead in this because what we have to, we see the miracles, we see the raise from the dead, we see the miraculous provision. But what we don't see many times is this last verse. What she says is, I recognize now that your God is the God. 
And she has this moment where her heart is awakened to the goodness of God, who he really is. Because she's in a wilderness season. There, there's a lack in her life. There's needs in her life. And in this moment, she sees God work miraculously. And she goes, I'm convinced now that your God is the God. And I want you to know something. I believe that this story is not about bread. It's not about a boy rising from the dead. It is about a woman whose heart is, is given to God that day. That God allowed a stream to dry up, that God allowed this woman to have need so that he could bring these people's lack together so that this woman could experience the power of God in her life. So that she could say, I recognize now that your God is the God. Sometimes there's gonna be lack in our lives and the story is not about you. It's about the person that God wants to use in your lack because your lack is gonna drive you to some place and there's gonna be somebody who sees your situation, God working it and they're gonna go, I'm convinced that your God is the God. And at that point, it's all worth it. It's worth the suffering, it's worth the wilderness, it's worth the pain, it's worth the loss. Whatever it is, it's worth it. Elijah's having a pretty good season, right? He said there's not gonna be any more rain and the rain stopped. He, he, he prayed for this woman's need. She was supernaturally provided for. He, he raised this boy from the dead. He sees this woman converted to, to serve Yahweh, the one true God. In chapter 18, we see he confronts the prophets of Baal and God wins in miraculous ways. And again, if you wanna hear that whole story, go back and listen to the, the sermon from June. That day he defeats, God shows up in, in incredible ways. He defeats the, the prophets of Baal, he literally takes their lives. Um, he, he prays and God sends the rain. So you've got to imagine Elijah's feeling pretty good about himself. He's on a hot streak, right? Like he's seeing God work and move and he's got to feel like, man, if you got a problem, let me know. I'll pray for it. I got you, right? I'm the man of God for this time, for this hour. I'm ready. And then everything shifts. We get to chapter 19. And what we see is this, sometimes the wilderness finds us after our biggest victories, and we'll talk more about this next week. Sometimes after we've seen God work in miraculous ways, that's when the wilderness will find us. This is what it says in 1 Kings 19.1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of the sword, and Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So what she says is, May God kill me if you're not dead by this time tomorrow. In 24 hours, you're gonna be dead or God's gonna strike me down. And the man of God responds and he, he says, bring it on, lady, because my God is a good, that's not what happened at all. Verse three says, then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servants there. It goes on to say in verse four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. So his life is threatened and let's be honest, fear is real. He was afraid for his life. He runs, he leaves his servants, and he goes even further. What we see is geographically he went about 120 miles in just a few days on foot. That he literally ran away, and he gets as far away as he possibly can geographically from Jezebel. He goes to the wilderness. He, he's fleeing. He's, he's seeking refuge. And he gets to this place, 
And he says to God, remember what he had just done. Remember all that had just happened. And he says to God, God, I'm a failure. I thought I was anointed. I thought I was called. I thought there was a purpose for my life. But now I look at my life and it seems like there's not. So maybe I'm not any better than any of my forefathers before me. Maybe there's not an anointing on me greater than any of my forefathers. So God, you know what? Just kill me. My life is worthless. She liked that part. And many of us get to the same place. When a wilderness season, it's easy for us to forget about all that God has done in our lives. Because what did he do? He forgot about the prophets of Baal. He forgot about raising the, the boy from the dead. He forgot about the miraculous prayers and provision and all the things that God had done through him. He forgot it all. In that moment, all he saw was his circumstances. All he saw was what was around him. I'm in the wilderness. I'm a failure. Just kill me, God. And it's so easy for us to get to that place where we go, man, I've, I've forgotten all that God has done in my life up to this point, all the ways he's worked, all the things he's done through me. And when we're in that circumstance, we just feel like there's no hope, there's no future. And at this point, Elijah couldn't even see beyond his circumstance. He couldn't even see that maybe God wanted to work in his life down the road. Maybe there would be a tomorrow. Because when you're in the wilderness, it's so easy to say, this is the end, that this is the period to my life. But God believes there's a comma, not a period. That there's something else beyond this moment. There's something else beyond this season. So I mentioned earlier that Elijah was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. And about 300 years later, there was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah named Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, there's a verse that Christianity takes out of context that uh, we will use it to make ourselves feel better. And it's good, it's a great verse, but we just, we just misuse it at times. And it's Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And it's an encouraging verse. But what we do is we take it out of context so we don't understand what God's really trying to say at times. In Jeremiah 28, there was a false prophet, uh, and the, the false prophet came to the nation of Israel the nation of Judah at that time. And he says, hey, I've got good news because at that time the Babylonians had taken the nation of Judah under control and they were subjected to the Babylonians. And he said, I've got good news. God says to you, two years and the Babylonians are gonna be overthrown. And the nation of Judah's like, yes, we could, two years, that's great, we can do that. And then God rebukes the false prophet and says, hey, you lied to my people. You told them what I didn't tell you. And because of that, you're gonna lose your life. And the false prophet ended up dying. God took his life because he had misled the, the people. And then Jeremiah shows up on the scene and he said, hey, let me correct what he said. Because he said it would be two years, but let me correct this. And so we read Jeremiah 29, 11, but we usually don't read the verses before or after it. In verse 10, this is what it says, Jeremiah 29, 10. He says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you the promise and bring you back to this place. So this is what he says. He says, hey, I'm gonna show up when 70 years have been accomplished for Babylon. So what he's saying is 70 years from now, 70 years of Babylonian control, and then I'm gonna show up. And, and you can imagine if you were one of the people in Judah and you just heard this prophecy that said two years, and then you heard the prophet say, no, 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 it's gonna be 70 years. 
You can imagine how you might be going, 70 more years? Are you sure you didn't put the decimal in the wrong place, God? Did you mean seven? Point seven? Something? Not 70, surely. Because this is the thing. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to stay in the wilderness longer than we think we should. And God said, I've got a purpose and a plan, and it's going to require 70 years, unfortunately. Because then we go into verse 11, and verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This is what he's saying. I know what I have in store for you. I know what I'm planning for you. You don't know it, you don't see it, but I do. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. Well, this word welfare is the word we talked about a few weeks ago. It's shalom, it's peace, it's completion, it's wholeness. He says, my plan for you is a plan for wholeness. My plan for you is not a plan for evil or calamity or chaos. This is what he's saying. To give you a future and a hope. So what he's saying is this. If you knew the plan that I have for you, you would not feel hopeless. You would feel full of hope. You would feel optimistic about your future. You wouldn't be worried about 70 years because if you could see what I see, you would be encouraged today. He goes on to say, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So what God's telling the nation of Judah at this point, 300 years after Elijah, is this. You have reason to be hopeful because I have a plan for you that does not end today. It does not end with your captivity. It does not end with your wilderness. There is more for you. There's a story that's been being written and the end of your story does not happen today. And Elijah felt like in this moment where he said, God, you might as well kill me. He felt like my story ends today. There's no future. I have no hope. But what we see God do, just like a good father does, he, he, he doesn't chastise Elijah. He speaks gently to him. And he says, hey, you, you have reason to hope. I've, I'm not done with you yet. And he goes on to do miraculous works. He goes on to anoint his successor. And he leaves the nation better than it was when he found it. Because God wasn't through with him. And I'm telling you today, there's some of you here that are, that are in this room, some of you that are watching online right now that you feel like your story has ended. You feel like you're in this wilderness season and, and there is no point, there is no hope, there is no future. But I'm telling you today, God's not done with you yet. You have reason to hope. If you could see the plan that God has for you, you would not be hopeless today. You would be full of hope. Let me pray with you today. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come together in this place, that we can worship you together, but God, we can hear from you individually. So God, I, I believe that during the course of this service today, through the worship, through the preaching, that you, your Holy Spirit has spoken directly to some people's hearts. So God, I pray today that you would help them receive exactly what you've got for them. God, I pray that, that those that are here that are struggling those that are in a wilderness season and feel hopeless, feel like there is no future, that they're struggling in a difficult marriage, they're struggling in their finances, they're struggling in a, in a job, they're struggling in relationship. God, help them see today that this is not the end of their story, that there is a future, that there is a hope for them. So Lord, let today be the day that hope rises up. So God, I pray your blessing. I pray you'd speak life 
into this place. God, I pray that you would encourage hearts that are discouraged today. God, I pray that you would help us see that, that our lack is not your absence in our life, that maybe a lack in our lives is you directing us and preparing us to be a catalyst for a miracle. So God, I pray that we would trust you in spite of what we see, in spite of what we feel, in spite of the season we're walking through. Let today be the day that our eyes are fixed on you. We trust in you fully and wholly. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I, I've never really put my faith and trust and hope in Jesus. Maybe you've been religious, maybe you've been to church a thousand times, but you, you can say, with all honesty, I've never really trusted Jesus with my life. I've never really made him Lord, but today I wanna to make him Lord of my life. I wanna trust him with everything. I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you come forward. I just wanna pray a simple prayer with you so that you can make Jesus Lord of your life today. So if you're here today and you say, man, I wanna be included in that prayer. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna surrender it all to him. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If that's you, slip your hand up and let me pray with you today. Yeah, over my right, two hands. Thank you so much. Who else would join these and say, Mel, pray for me? Yeah, I see you. Center section. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say, Mel, pray for me today? Today is my day. Yeah, thank you. Over here on my right. Yeah, up at the balcony. Praise God. Thank you. Awesome. I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. The word of God tells us that if we confess with our, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So I wanna encourage you today, pray this prayer with your mouth, but believe it in your heart. So pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and thank you for giving Jesus, your son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I turn away from my sin and from my old life and I commit myself to you. Use my life for your glory and help me point people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, we serve an incredibly good God. And if you prayed that prayer with us today and you made Jesus Lord of your life, I want, to, I want to encourage you in this. You've just made the greatest decision you'll ever make in your entire life. And we want to help you in that process. So if you would, take a moment and take the card that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side of the card, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. If you'd fill out the side of the card that says salvation and then take it to our information center when we finish here in just a few minutes, give it to them. They're going to give you a new Bible and they're going to help you on your journey. Uh, we'll get you connected to relationships and resources. They're going to help you take the next step in your faith. And if you're watching online today and you prayed that prayer with us, uh, thank you so much for worshiping with us and praying that. Uh, we want to help you as well. So if you would, simply text the word salvation to the number 555888. And when you do that, we're going to respond back and we're going to help you get connected to life-giving churches in your area that you can begin to grow in your faith. So thank you for worshiping with us. We pray that God blesses you. Uh, here's what's going to happen right now. I want to pray a final prayer over you before we're dismissed. And, uh, and while I'm doing that, our prayer team is going to come forward and they'll be here at the front of this stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, when we dismiss in just a moment, feel free to make your way forward and find one of them. Let them agree with you in prayer. Uh, if you would like to just sit in your seat and meditate on the word of God, what the Holy Spirit's maybe spoken to you, feel free to do so. If you want to come forward, you can kneel at one of these steps if you'd like. 
feel free to do that if you want to. But we just want to take some time and pray uh, before we go. And then if, when we're dismissed, you feel like you're ready to go, feel free to do so. But please be reverent uh, as you leave so that we don't disrupt what God's doing in this place. So let me just pray a final prayer over you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you invite us to be part of your purposes and plans for Indiana. For, for Indiana County, for this region and for the world. God, I thank you that as sons and daughters of God, we can walk out of this place in boldness and authority, knowing who we are or knowing who you've called us to be, that we are carriers of your glory, that we are vessels of your presence. So God, I pray as we leave here today, Lord, we would carry you with us. That God, as we walk into restaurants, as we walk into our workplace, as we walk into our homes and our neighborhoods, God, I pray that people would see you at work in us and they would say what the widow of Zarephath said, that surely you are a person of God, that the God you serve is the one true God. So God, I pray that you would help us be people of impact in our community. Help us to meet needs, help us to speak life. So God, help that happen in and through us so that you could be glorified, so that more people would know you. We love you and we thank you and it's in your name we pray, amen. I tell you every week, but I hope you know it. I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored to get to be your pastor. God bless you, and we'll see you uh, Wednesday night for our night of worship. God bless you.